Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 22 of Adam Mudman's A-List. Um, as we mentioned earlier in the week, uh, we're going to be looking at House on Haunted Hill a second time, uh, this time in the form of the 1999 remake, um, which I was pleasantly surprised with. Um, on my Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash A-D-A-M Mudman, uh, I recently reviewed, I did a movie thoughts review on the 2005 House of Wax, which was, um, unexpectedly popular. The movie, not the review. Uh, the movie, uh, has, there are a lot of people, at least on Letterboxd, who seem to think that it's some sort of classic, uh, but it was, um, it was bad. I did not like that movie, which is interesting because I also don't like the 1953 or 1933 Houses of Wax, um, even though the 30s version, for, for those of you out there who care and would be willing to criticize someone over this, uh, the 1933 version is technically called The Mystery of the Wax Museum. There, I got that. Um, so, I don't like any of those movies. Uh, but House of Wax was the last of the kind of a trilogy of remakes that Dark Castle Entertainment put together. Uh, Dark Castle Entertainment is a production company that their original mission was to remake the films of William Castle. Um, and so it was kind of interesting because they debuted with House on Haunted Hill, William Castle movie with Vincent Price, uh, then they did 13 Ghosts, uh, William Castle movie without Vincent Price, and then they did House of Wax, which is not a William Castle movie, it's just a Vincent Price movie, um, and so that's probably, I don't know, I kind of felt like there was a reason why maybe House of Wax was the worst of the Dark Castle trilogy, um, 13 Ghosts was pretty alright. Uh, there are definitely some moments in it that I thought were actually better than the original, because the original is kind of a disjointed mess um, that definitely cares a lot more about its gimmick uh, than it does the actual movie. Um, but, uh, you know, the first movie that, that one makes in a cycle um, such as this uh, is usually um, the best, and so in this case... House on Haunted Hill uh, is the best of the Dark Castle remakes that I have seen. Um, I think they technically did remakes of other horror films that were not Price or Castle related, um, but I, I, yeah, I'm not familiar with those. Uh, I did find out recently that um, I think they made the 2002 Ghost Ship, uh, which my friends and I watched when we were younger. Uh, and, and that movie is not a remake of the various movies called Ghost Ship. Um, which, funny story, the one that it specific, that Wikipedia specifically cites as not, it, it not being a remake of, um, it's, it's a 50s movie called Ghost Ship, and it represents, um, one attempt out of four that the director made to adapt one play from the 30s. So, he must have really, really, really liked that play. Um, so anyway, yeah, no, Dark Castle Entertainment, uh, like I said, they, they want to make remake William Castle movies, and uh, I, I appreciate that um, in the case of all three movies, they took the basic premise of the original Price-slash-Castle movie and basically um, 
they just made it they made a new movie that used the general concept house on haunted hill and 13 ghosts definitely run a lot closer to house of wax because the original house of wax is about an artist who is disfigured in a fire which his assistant sets um because to for an insurance scam and house of wax is set uh in rural louisiana and the killer is disfigured because he is a conjoined twin whose face was conjoined. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, there's... There's, there's, there's both deliberate, um, you know, remakes of, of specific sequences from House on Haunted Hill... Uh, that was kind of a weird way to say remakes. I I, I apologize. Um, I realize that sometimes my articulation on these podcasts is not super great. Um, I, I do admittedly have um, some minor speech impediments. Uh, when I was younger, I had a relatively prominent stutter and stammer. Uh, and currently now, um, I just... <laughs> This is kind of what what's happening now is kind of t- just to make a long story short just it's kind of more trauma based um I went through a long period in my life uh where my um depression and anxiety were bad enough where it was affecting my ability to to talk and I haven't really entirely recovered from that so um just there's just a lot of stuff going on in my head. Uh, at a t- at, at, for for you know a lo- at a lot of different points, and, and I just you know it's it's somewhat difficult for me to express myself. But I do also find these podcasts um, help me express myself, perhaps um, in a more f- in a in a more liberating fashion um, than the written reviews. So anyway, uh, <laughs> I, sh- I should minimize tangents. I realize. Uh, so yeah, uh, House on Haunted Hill. Um, yeah, again, it just it has homages and as well as as direct callbacks, as well as just you know doing some stuff that's just completely new. Um, for I mean, some people might view this as a detriment, but the '50s House on Haunted Hill um, admittedly toyed with the idea that the paranormal happenings in the house um, were not real. There was never actually any indication. Uh, that things happened outside of um, Frederick Lauren's control, and then also Annabelle Lauren and Dr. Trent's control. Um, in this house on Haunted Hill, we learn both early on and and in a more full to a more full extent later. Um, you know, we we uh, there is definitely paranormal activity in this, uh, unambiguously. Um, and in some ways, it, yeah, again, a lot of people don't like it when you take a movie that toys with the supernatural and then remake it so it has the supernatural in it. Um, like, I don't know, but in this case, it works because it's house on Haunted Hill. Why would the house have a legend of being haunted if it wasn't actually haunted? And in that case, you know, aside from the admittedly well-plotted-out drama that forms the plot on the house on Haunted Hill, like, you know, promising us a ghost movie, but you've really kind of brought us sort of a film noir instead. 
Um, House on Haunted Hill, actually, now the more I think about it, it really does seem to be film noir. And, and more even more so than, than being just like a straight-up horror film. Uh, there's a whole other line of analysis that could go into that. In any case, um... So I, I should actually start digging into the movie. Uh, we do we have an opening logo for Dark Castle Entertainment, which is funny to me because it has a CGI gargoyle involved that roars, and I'm just like, ah yes, gargoyles, and just like just like in William Castle's movies. Like maybe I haven't seen the one that has gargoyles in it, but it seems it seems to be like from another genre. But I also realized, you know, eventually they branched out, they stopped doing William Castle movies, actually quite, quite, you know, quickly after they, they launched. Um, and, uh, which is, you know, I, I do kind of wonder about an alternate universe where, and someone could still do this, but, you know, consider that, like, in the late 90s, early 2000s, what if they had just gone all out and we'd gotten, like, a 2002 adaptation of Homicidal, or, like, a 2004 version of the Tangler, like I love to see the sort of imagination that went behind these sorts of movies and see it applied to the Tangler. I think that that movie has a lot of potential, um, especially because of its hilariously awful science. Um, and even if it just ended up being stupid, the fact that some, no matter what approach you had to it, if you tried to make it straight. And, and it's just a horror film, then it would have appeal because it's the Tingler. If if you if you made it like a bit more edgy and you tried maybe maybe were a bit of a tryhard on it and it was like you know super gory and shit, that would be hilarious. So that would be entertaining. Even as if you did it as a comedy, I lied. Don't remake the Tingler as a comedy. There, there's, I mean, the fact that, you know, last night I got caught in the trap of, uh, you know, hey guys, I just turned on the Tingler. <laughs> um, so, uh, please, if I was going to actually have a sex toy, I would call it Mr. Tingles. Uh, so, <laughs> I will respect Vincent Price enough to not name my sex toys after the monsters he fights. Um, so yeah, no, um, anyway, uh, after the Dark Castle opening title, uh, we get to basically the opening credits, which are kind of like a bunch of, like, just very kind of generic, creepy shit that's kind of arranged in a very, um, early 2000s, like, uh, you know, twitchiness, shaky cam, uh, like, Dave McKean Photoshop montage sort of thing. Like, there's, like, you know, weird steampunk mechanisms with doors that open, and there's, like, eyes and mouths behind the doors, and there's just, like, a bunch of anatomical models, and, and you know, just, you know, creepy shit like that. Uh, whatever the hell they could get. Um, and, and I love that sort of stuff. It reminds me of all of the grungy bad photoshops that haunted um, the the creepypasta sites that I would frequent in my youth. And it is very Dave McKean-esque. It was kind of like watching an animated Sandman cover. It's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, once we get past that, 
Uh, we get some footage that's part of a documentary that's showing on TV, which is being watched by our equivalent of Annabelle um, Lauren, who is played by um, an actress whose name I unfortunately cannot pronounce. My apologies both to her and to the Dutch people. Um, but she is known to me as... Uh, she played Jean Grey in the X-Men movies. Uh, not, not, not Game of Thrones lady, um, but older Jean Grey from, from X-Men and X2 and Last Stand and all that. Um, so, yeah, it's her. Uh, she plays, she plays Mrs. Lauren, who in this case, um, it's not Frederick Lauren, it is instead Stephen Price. Stephen Price. Yes, that's actually what they're going with. Um, that would be like if you decided to do some sort of remake of Casablanca and you changed Rick's last name to Bogart. Uh, <laughs> but hey, it kind of works. Um, so, uh, Stephen Price is played by Jeffrey Rush, who you may know as Barbosa from the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movies, and I pray to the gods his name is not actually Barbarossa. I am tired of looking like an idiot in these podcasts, so I'm just going to hope that his name is Barbosa and go from there. Um, so, he, Jeffrey Rush is actually... This movie helped cement him as, as an actor that I like watching out for. Um... I have seen and heard about some of the behind-the-scenes stuff for the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, and from what I understand, Rush has a tendency to just go all fucking out on his roles. He'll do a ton of research, he'll he'll ask for rewrites to, to flesh out like a back like backstories that he makes up for the characters. Um, a lot of the stuff that we know about his pirate's character, he himself created, just because he just gets passionate about his roles, and he makes them his own. And so he has huge shoes to fill, because he's playing a character who is not only based on Vincent Price, but is named after him. And he does a good job! Um, he's definitely not Vincent Price, he certainly doesn't go for the accent, um... But he has he has the price mustache. I thought it was cute that they did that. Um, he you know dresses like a price character because he's a rich douchebag, um, and he uh, he he plays out less of a continuation of Price's career and more um, just sort of a reimagining of Vincent Price, kind of fitting in with the rest of the movie. Um, it's Vincent Price, if maybe Vincent Price had gotten his start in, like, the 70s instead of the 30s. Um, and so, you know, Vincent Price isn't the kind who's gonna be like, Jesus fucking Christ! And, and, and like, you know, like, uh, delivering lines like, well, maybe if you weren't fucking everything in our area code. Because uh, this... Okay, warning for people who do not like this sort of, these sorts of horror movies. This is one of those late 90s, early 2000s movies where um, they, uh, when they didn't invoke the trope of audiences must enjoy it when the main characters are fucking stupid and unbearable, um, 
they, which was my problem with House of Wax, incidentally. I know that it's supposed to be, you know, kind of, people were reading more complex stuff into the various douchebag characters of that movie, but there really wasn't. Anyway, um, this isn't about House of Wax, nor is it about The Tangler, so I'm just going to stop bringing up both of those movies. Um, uh, so, yeah, no, unfortunately, this movie does have a lot of kind of pointless swearing and, and characters being edgy and angry for almost no reason. Like, people just, like, hating each other upon first meeting them. Um, now, provided, you know... You are sealed in a former insane asylum that that is definitely this time full of ghosts. Uh, there is no Nora gets gaslighted this time, although people are skeptical um, because it does seem for a while like Price is manufacturing this stuff. Um, no, it's people. People are pretty pretty generally open to. Um, to the idea that this house is actually haunted. Probably because it looks considerably less domestic than the original house on Haunted Hill. Um, cause as I, as I should be getting into, uh, the house this time around is a, is a former, um, mental hospital. So yeah, uh, Jean Grey is in the bathtub, uh, cause they definitely, you know, make her out to be super sexy in this. Um, and she is watching a Peter Graves documentary, uh, which features, um, footage that is supposed to be from the 1930s, but very obviously isn't, um, of what happened at the Richard B. Vanicut, um, hospital for the criminally insane, uh, where, uh, basically security failed, uh, the patients ended up breaking out, and Dr. Vanicut was doing illicit surgeries on the patients. Uh, when we first meet Dr. Vanicut, he is uh, cutting someone open with a scalpel without anesthetic, um, which, which is something that his nurses don't care about. Normally in movies like this, you have something like, you know, the nurses are just like, oh, doctor, oh, it's perverse, you can't do this to a man. But, you know, in this one, they're just sort of like, eh, people getting cut open, it's fine, he's just screaming a little bit, his restraints are tight, it doesn't matter. Um... So yeah, the patients end up breaking out and basically butchering the whole staff, um, and uh, possibly also doing bad things, TM, to them. Uh, there are several women who get their shirts ripped open because there are tits in this movie, um, but there they there are also several dudes who get their shirts ripped open, um, like. I don't know, maybe they're just like, oh man, we gotta get these clothes off so we can rip them apart, which kind of seems to be the implication, because, you know, I... Anyway, um... So... I mean, provided also, I think they call this place a hospital for the criminally insane, but I mean, you know, for all I know, this could have just been, like, a 30s mental hospital in general, and it's like, I know my mental illnesses make me want to you know, run rampant and tear people apart and, and, and 
you know, fucking torture and murder them. Like, that. that's, you know, you have a hospital that has, like, 500 patients, and every single one of them is fucking, you know, Freddy Krueger. Um, speaking of which, Peter Graves is talking about Dr. Vanicut, and he calls him the most prolific serial killer in American history, which is impressive, given that I'm pretty sure there's at least one American serial killer who's reached the triple digits. Um, and, uh, but yeah, no, like, yeah, Peter Graves is all like, you know, uh, he out-butchered Bundy, he made Manson look meek, and it's like, let me, th- it's, he, I, he made the Boston Strangler look bashful. I don't know. Like, he made Jack the Ripper jealous. And just, <laughs> the thing is, is that, like, that's not even, like, necessarily something funny. It's just, you know, it's, in fact, it's just the honest reflection of, you know, for as long as I've been alive, the media has, you know, documentaries and news programs have, have, fetishize the fuck out of violence and serial killers and see people who are like actual like serial killer fans and not like you know a lot of my friends who like studying them historically or because they're interested in psychology uh but like actual people who think that these people were really awesome even if these people would never murder anyone themselves they just think that like oh man you know ted bundy fucking role model like ed gein Awesome, like John Wayne Gacy. I'd I'd dress up as a clown and stuff people in my crawl space as well. Um, there we go again, perpetuating the idea that Gacy killed people and took care of their bodies while dressed as a clown, uh, which, he, as far as I know, he never actually did. Uh, <laughs> but hey, I mean, dude is probably the only actual killer clown in human history. Uh, that at least that most people know about. So, and here I go. I, I'm sensationalizing John Wayne Gacy. I am to blame for all of America's problems. Um, after all, you have to remember, I'm involved with the media. And, and you know, there are a lot of people now who are being tricked into believing that, you know, the First Amendment, which, which enables journalists, is wrong because journalists are evil and they, they hate, you know, common folk because it's all just a conspiracy and 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 trump isn't actually you know he didn't collude with the russians even though he he admitted that he did that and and yeah uh so um we haven't even really gotten into this movie yet uh so basically stephen price makes his money off of um he runs a series of amusement parks. Uh, these are amusement parks for dicks, uh, because, uh, they include things like, uh, so there's a roller coaster where you have to take an elevator to go up, but part of the ride is that the elevator starts failing and seemingly goes down and starts, and is about to crash, and then stops at the last minute. Um, and then, once you actually get on the roller coaster, there's things like the track like wobbling and snapping, which is deliberate. Like they they fake the track breaking so that like people see it and they're like, oh dear God, no, please. Um, 
and and then it just like oh man then it slides back down because it's actually an animatronic and it's and they they managed to use like colored fog i guess to make it seem like the track just goes straight into the ground but it's actually just like a cloud of colored fog that looks like concrete um and so if this was a real amusement park that would actually be really cool um I, I now that I think about it too, like this might actually be a real roller coaster because it, it looks like they used one, you know, for the shots. Uh, but anyway, um, so once again, we're having sort of the situation where Price slash Lauren's wife is supposedly hosting this party, but it's actually Lauren's party. Um, except this time around, they kind of they kind of make it so it is kind of like her party because she has a guest list. Um, but then he ends up shredding the guest list and writes up his own, which is like all of his friends. Um, except for the fact that there is a mysterious presence that deletes his uh, list from the computer and replaces it with a new one. I'm just going to spoil this right now. The ghosts hack his computer. It's one of those movies. And it's partially why I love it. I love whenever they people try to have ghosts hack things. And the reason why the ghosts make the guest list what it is... Like... It gets it gets it gets amazing for a couple of different reasons. So anyway, yeah, we end up um we kind of get a a mirroring of the uh, drive up scene, except this time we don't have Vincent Price telling us all of the individual quirks and backgrounds of the characters. Um, the characters here are pretty generic, and I don't remember any of their names. Uh, there is one character whose name I do remember because his name is Watson Pritchard. He is the only character whose name carries over between movies. Um, he is definitely portrayed differently than how um, he was played in the 50s version, which I will get to. Uh, so yeah, the, as the guests are pulling in in their little funeral cars... Um, they play the Marilyn Manson cover of Sweet Dreams Are Made Of These. <laughs> and I don't remember if 13 Ghosts also uses pop music, but there was a freaking like, early 2000s emo smorgasbord in House of Wax. Like, at one point, they just literally play, like, the middle, like, 20 seconds from the middle of Prayer by Disturbed. Um... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to keep talking about House of Wax. Um, but, uh, so, once the people show up and, 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 and the song ends, uh, we, um, yeah, basically, they, they end up meeting Pritchard, who, as before, tells everyone about all the backstory on the house. Um, but when they first meet Pritchard, um, uh, it is, uh, very clear that, uh, well, 
there's this actor that they <laughs> may, maybe wanted to <laughs> maybe wanted to have and uh so but they couldn't uh they couldn't get him so uh, i'm just gonna do a bad impression of him because that's kind of what the guy who plays pritchard he kind of he kind of does it throughout the whole movie uh it's it's uh he, he it's, it's supposed to be like jeff goldblum uh, but it's not really like um, like like uh, Jeff Goldblum, um, so uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, my Jeff Goldblum is fucking horrible, by the way. Uh, I, last time I'm doing that, I, the the Vincent Price voice, you know, crept in a, a, a couple of other times in the previous episode, but I'm definitely not gonna try to do Jeff Goldblum. Um, but uh, so the. Yeah, uh, Jeff Goldblum slash Pritchard, and, and again, not actually Jeff Goldblum, just someone who really wishes he was Jeff Goldblum. Um, basically, he will be, all, in addition to our source of exposition, he'll also be our source of snark, which I actually really appreciate because uh, they didn't do anything with Pritchard being um, an alcoholic in, in the original movie. They didn't. Um, not to say, you know, oh man, an alcoholic character, he has to provide the snark. But in this case, they, they, they did have Pritchard provide some snark, as his warnings kind of became more and more drunken and hopeless as the movie went on. Um, but, uh, yeah, here he's just sarcastic and, and, and kind of bratty. Because in this case now, uh, Price, instead of offering... Because inflation is a thing. Uh, it's not $10,000 anymore, it's a million dollars. So Pritchard goes up to him, and he's just like, I'm not gonna stay locked in my house, so give me my money, right now! Because I want it! I'm serious! And, 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 and Price is just like, okay, and everyone is like staring at him like, damn, I wasn't expecting that. Um, and actually, it's kind of a nice setup, because, like, Pritchard, again, it, 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 if he's so pissed about things, it I don't know why he would even bother staying in the house. I mean, aside from the fact that he gets locked in. Um, but, like, why would he even agree to this, even in exchange for... for I don't know, he just, he seems too pissed off, like, he's, whereas, whereas the other Richard was sort of, you know, like, terrified, his response here is, is definitely a lot more, you know, late 90s, 21st century, where he's just like, nope, you're not making me deal with those fucking ghosts, I did it once, never doing it again, you, I mean, you can, you, you couldn't make me do it if you paid me, I mean, okay, maybe just a little bit, maybe, maybe if you paid me to at least open the house, then, then maybe, but, like, no, these, these fucking ghosts, I, I'm just gonna nope right the fuck out of here, and, so, um, yeah, they all get trapped in the house because, uh, there is a giant hydraulic mechanism that seals the, that basically was meant to seal the hospital shut at night, so the patients couldn't get out, um, so now they are stuck there until the morning, uh, also, Price's tech guy, who is arranging a lot of his different effects, uh, he ends up getting his face, like, cored out of his head, uh, <laughs> which is where Price it ends up being just like, Jesus! <laughs> and it's just, it's really funny, because I just love the idea of Vincent Price just being like, 
God, why? In just like kind of just like a grungy sort of voice. Um, uh, we do get uh, the uh, the coffin guns. They appear a lot earlier in the movie because uh, this movie is badass, man. And so not only are the coffin, not only are the guns in tiny coffins, but the tiny coffins are in a larger coffin, which is full of luminescent dry ice. <laughs> this movie, like a lot of remakes, it also in some ways tries to outdo the original. And in this case, it tries to kind of outdo the campiness of the original. And in some cases, as with this, it actually succeeds. Because <laughs> the, the whole coffin gun thing was pretty funny to begin with. But then to have the coffins be in a bigger coffin is just kind of amazing. Um... Uh, they also, they, they end up going down to the basement where they end up finding a bunch of preserved bodies of, like, deformed people. So there's, like, you know, a preserved baby that has, like, horns, and there's, like, you know, a guy who may or may not be a centaur. He at least has, like, a, like, a big, like, you know, gaping hole in his chest. Um, so yeah, uh, Pritchard ends up also, he shows them this thing called the saturation chamber and there's a couple of different times in this movie where Pritchard will um kind of glance over the fact that Vanicut's psychology is basically just bad movie psychology aka just you know if you torture people they will stop being mentally ill that's how that works um so yeah, they they have the saturation chamber, which was basically just to be. It was supposed to be like this, like basically like a sensory chamber, like a sensory, not a sensory deprivation chamber, but it's basically like you get hooked up in there, and there's like weird sounds and visuals that eventually just start causing you to hallucinate. And this is kind of when they get the hand wavy thing, where uh, Pritchard is just like. Uh, he basically just had this ma Vanicut basically just had this maxim that what would drive a man mad would drive a madman sane, and and he's just sort of like something like that, and it's like so you just needed this mechanism to be in the movie, so you just had, uh, you know, they you know there's no regulations back then, you know, just built a weird sensory torture chamber, um. That makes sense. They did that in real life. I mean, actually, you know, it, they. as far as I... I don't know if they're actually called saturation chambers, but when I first heard the name, I thought it was going to be a reference to the real-life thing that they actually did have uh, in mental hospitals, which did actually have... A lot of them did have actually truly horrible circumstances, not because of the nature of the patients, but because of just the fact that you would have hospitals that are supposed to have residencies of like 200 patients that were having like 500 so you'd have like multiple people packed into a single room and then there weren't proper bathroom facilities and stuff like that um on top of the fact that you could be sent into a mental in institution back in the day for being openly autistic for being gay for being antisocial um because your family didn't like you just all sorts of stuff and and so you know you would be put in those sorts of conditions um and and so one thing that a lot of psychiatrists did believe was that um basically they thought that cold water could shock people uh 
basically back to sanity, much in the same way that, like, ECT supposedly would shock people um, back into mental health, um, although, as far as I know, it's not the shock of ECT that does it, it's, you know, the fact that it's electricity and our neuro, our, like, neural system is also electrical, um, that makes it sound really stupid, but... <laughs> There's electrical impulses in your nerves, is what I mean to say. So, um, anyway, no, they they basically, like, basically, it, they have, they just, like, waterboard these patients, effectively, because they'd wrap them up in ice-cold towels, and then, like, put them in ice water, and then, like, the compression would, you know, it would, it, it would basically torture them, because um, that's what our country, unfortunately, does to terrorists and people we label as terrorists is, is same sort of stuff they did to mentally ill people back in the day or gay people or people that just didn't act you know according to the proper conformity anyway um so these places were legitimately horrifying but at the same time this movie also just makes some stuff up uh I mean, they also, you know, a lot of stuff they make up includes some of the surgeries that were done, because it's like, yeah, there was definitely surgery that was done on mentally ill people that definitely messed them up, like, lobotomies. Guess what? Lobotomies don't... <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe maybe lobotomies help people, but as far as I know, they, they help you by just completely fucking you up and just making you into a vegetable. So, um... But, you know, there wasn't, you know, people just being like, I wonder if we can influence someone's, you know, mental health by cutting them open without anesthetic, or, like, you know, turning them into eyeless, you know, Guillermo del Toro freaks. Because, uh, uh, yeah, there are several jump-scare ghosts that show up, that which are, like, people who I think are supposed to have been surgically disfigured. Um, so... Yeah, uh, people, people, like in the original, there's enough, there's instance going on where people start suspecting that Lauren is behind, or not Lauren, Price is behind this, um, because he, I mean, he is legitimately shady as fuck, so I, I understand where they're coming from, um, and things seem to kind of come to a head when, you know, the wife that he hates, uh, is found hooked up to an ECT machine that is turned up way too high, all of this equipment, by the way, is, like, 60-plus years old and still perfectly functional. Um, sure. Uh, so, yeah, the ECT ends up electrocuting her to death. And, uh, of course, everyone thinks that uh, Price is responsible. Um, here's kind of a weird thing that happened. This has happened... Uh, this happens on my DVD, and I don't know if it... Like, I actually... I watched copies online to compare this and they also had this sort of issue so i don't know like someone else maybe someone else can tell me if this is something that that is just like part of the movie um this this part of the movie seems to be edited out of order so basically everyone is like price you murdered your wife and then snap jump cut to price sealed in the saturation chamber but then we cut back, and we get a scene of Price being like, wait, no, what are you going to do with me? 
you can't do this. And then we jump forward to another scene with the saturation chamber. Then we jump back and we get an even earlier scene where it's people first accusing Price of killing his wife before they put him in the chamber. So that was weird. Um, it definitely doesn't serve any sort of thematic or narrative point. Um, so I just think I might have had a glitchy copy, and whoever is, you know, ripping and uploading these movies had the same glitchy, like, glitchy copy? Not, like, the exact same one, but, like, a copy with the same glitch on it. Um, and so, uh, we end up finding out that, uh... Like, they find a book that basically reveals that um, everyone who is ended up at the party is a descendant of one of the staff there. Uh, this is where I kind of have to raise some logical questions. Uh, again, we have the ghosts hacking the computer to bring the descendants of the people who tortured them uh, to the hospital so they can kill them. Fair. But we see that um, one of the ancestors is named Stockard, which is the maiden name of Price's wife, Evelyn. Um, there is also a person whose name is Price. Which means that... Okay. So... I feel like this means the ghosts had to have made sure that Price and Evelyn got married. Like, they could have brought them both to the hospital if they weren't already previously associated. But that they were previously associated shows to me that, you know, if the ghosts are manipulating their... Because, like, the ghosts must have been working on this then for decades. They could have easily been manipulating these people's lives if they have the ability to affect computers that are outside the house. So, so did the ghosts, again, get those two people's ancestors married to each other? Just for convenience? Because, that's, again, that's just, that's just what I'm thinking. I don't know. Um... So, yeah, uh, it, it, it turns out that, uh, despite the fact that, uh, we have definitely seen signs of paranormal activity, mostly with people who have died. There's a girl who, oh man, her camera can see the ghosts, even if she can't normally see them outside of the camera, and, oh my god, she found the old surgical chamber and her camera is picking up footage of Dr. Vanicut leading a surgery and then slowly the doctor's ghost and all the ghost nurses are, like, turning to look at them and then they, like, run up and jump scare the camera and... There's an identical scene in Grave Encounters. Now, definitely, you know, obviously enough, Grave Encounters came out way after this movie. But rewatching this movie for the review, Grave Encounters stole a shit ton of stuff from this movie. Uh, I still love Grave Encounters, and I think my love of Grave Encounters definitely helped inspire my love of this movie. But the whole, the, like literally, at the end of Grave Encounters, there is a scene where the guy ends up finding the old surgical chamber. He's filming it, 
And through the camera, you know, there is the ghosts of the evil doctor and his nurses, and they all stop the surgery and slowly look up at him in unison and then jump scare the camera. And it's the same scene. So, (laughs) I don't know. I just think that's kind of interesting. Um, Again, still really like Grave Encounters. Uh, (laughs) Just just like I like this. Um, They, uh... We get the same twist as there was in the original then. Uh, There is a doctor who is having an affair with the millionaire's wife, and they are conspiring to trick one of the uh, house guests into um, killing him with the guns that have been conveniently provided. Um, So, again, because this movie has to top the original, they have the Nora equivalent... Um, shoot Price, like, seven or eight times. Like, she just unloads the clip into him. Whereas in the original, it was just, bam. And so, um, yeah, he, he is just, he's soaked in blood, just topples over, collapses on the ground, he's fucking dead. Um, People, the, the rest of the survivors come in, and they're just like, what about Mr. Price? And then one of the guys is just like, fuck Mr. Price! Uh, so, as they are trying to find a way out of the house, uh, having now been securely convinced that everything paranormal that happened was Price trying to mess with them because he was just some weird, crazy guy, uh, Evelyn ends up, you know, going over to the dead body, to, to make sure that he's dead. And of course he gets up, he has a bulletproof vest that is covered in blood packs because he's a theme park designer, he is a special effects master. He, liter- he, he literally says, you didn't expect me to do this. Like, <laughs> so yeah, he, um, and this is also after uh, Evelyn has killed the doctor. I guess so she can, like, get more money out of the deal. Um, yeah, she disembowels him with a scalpel. Uh, just like a normal person who wants to, to, you know, get money. Um, so he's, like, you know, slapping her around. Like, they're fighting. He ends up, like, picking her up and throwing her against the wall. And the wall ends up just, like, crumbling. And this is, like, a secret room that was, like, sealed away. And it is... Unlike the rest of the hospital, which, by the way, there was a huge fire. I I should have mentioned this at the beginning, but there was a fire that broke out in the hospital that killed all the inmates after they escaped, and they couldn't get out, and they all died because they were sealed in by the hydraulic system. Um, So this room is, like, all creepy because it's all, like, burnt up. Um, And this is when there is a shadow that starts creeping across the ground. And it is clear that there was something locked up in this room that should not have gotten out. And it turns out that something is what Pritchard rather ridiculously referred to as the darkness. Um, That's one reason why people didn't like this movie, is because it turns out that the central monster, for indeed the ghost that is about to manifest is a monster... um, it's called the darkness, which is a pretty stupid thing to call 
the monster that you're putting in a remake of a movie that, again, did not have definite paranormal activity in it. Um, but the darkness is fucking creepy, and it is fucking awesome. So it turns... It's, it's basically... It is one of my favorite types of ghosts. It is the congealed spirits, rage, insanity, and sorrow, and just, like, the pure misery of the haunted place that is just put into a single entity that isn't even human anymore. Um, this thing is a giant, like, shadowy blob made of flailing arms and screaming faces and writhing tentacles all at the same time. And somehow all of this comes together and the thing forms like a symmetrical Rorschach blot which is genius for a monster that is the product of all of the hate and pain and suffering of an evil mental hospital. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it only gets a little silly because of two things. One, it has to chase all of the characters around the house. So, um, I was, I started going... It's supposed to be the chase theme from Scooby-Doo. Um, if you've seen Scooby-Doo, you know, you, I, hope, I hope that that was not annoying enough where you can remember uh, the specific theme that I'm trying to invoke. But yeah, so the ghost has to chase people around. It can't, like, teleport in front of them or anything like that. Um, suddenly, it, what was an omnipotent force that could permeate throughout the whole house and could even affect things outside of the house um, is suddenly just, like, a very traditional movie monster. Um, it's also a little ridiculous because it will form the faces of the various people it eats or has eaten, like, the, the, the various guests who have been killed and Evelyn, and so there's one part when it's confronting the survivors are, are Nora and Lance analogs, and Vanicut's face appears in it, and he's just like, the doctor is in. And it's like, okay, don't give your your inhuman personification of suffering that is, like, made of the insane cackling spirits of all of these poor tortured souls... Um, don't, don't give it one-liners. Don't do that. That's fucking stupid. Don't do it just because horror movies have one-liners in them. Uh, it's enough where, like, I, 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 I could, I could overlook it, though, just because, again, for a CGI abomination, this thing was actually, it actually kind of scared the crap out of me. Uh, again, if anything, just because it, it tapped into sort of you know, the sort of horror tropes that I like. Um, so, basically, they end up, uh, the, despite despite the monster's best efforts, they manage to escape. Um, and furthermore, uh, you know, they, um, they manage to escape with all of the checks that Price wrote out now, the problem is, some of those checks would be made out to other people, so you probably can't cash them. Um, also, uh, Price is dead, so it's probably going to look 
kind of weird when you show up at the bank and ask for five million of his dollars after you spent the night with him on the night where he mysteriously vanished and was possibly murdered. Um, and so, but anyway, no, they, they, they get the money, it's supposed to be a happy ending, whatever, I'll give it to them. They went through some, some pretty serious shit. Um, but then at the end, the Lance analog dude is like, man, you gotta admit, that was one kick-ass party. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. No. <laughs> Several people got killed. They got fucking ghost-eaten. I don't even know what happened to them. The ghosts somehow disassembled them on a physical level, and then forced their spirit to bond with them. Like, no escape into the afterlife, no hope of even becoming an independent ghost, they are sucked into the darkness and made part of its will. Like, that was not a kick-ass party. Like, that was nightmare fuel. <laughs> Um, that having been said, the movie Overly is not actually that scary. Um, it definitely, you know, is a bit cheap in the scares department with the jump scares and everything. Um, but it has a very good atmosphere to it, just as the original did. Um, and it actually, it manages to create its own atmosphere that the that's distinct from and yet um, kind of familiar to the original. Um, this is really, like, people... I know a lot of people don't like it when they change remakes... Um, but I think it's how you change a remake. A remake should be, you take a movie that perhaps, you know, like the possibly sexist, uh, 1959 House on Haunted Hill, you take a movie that is, uh, where, you know, the special effects consist of, like, plastic skeletons, um, you know, maybe those movies haven't aged very well, and you have to update them for modern sensibilities. Um, this movie doesn't really tackle the sexism so much, I just, you know, wanted to bring that up in general. Um, but, the, actually it's arguably sexist in and of itself, in that, uh, women are very, very objectified. It's definitely a very male gaze movie, um, uh, especially around Evelyn, um, because she's Xenia fucking on the top, and, uh, has to... <laughs> you know, show off her cleavage and whatnot. Um, but, uh, you know, this movie literally remade the story of House on Haunted Hill into something different. And, and, and that's really what should be implied and demonstrated by the word remake. Um, there are remakes that will change things, but they'll still be a very close adaptation um, where the changes are, are upsetting because they don't represent anything significant and they create unfortunate implications um, that weren't present in the original text. Uh, namely, like, the thing that comes to mind, I guess, is, is when they did the RoboCop remake, there was controversy over the fact that his hands were also robotic. Because that was a point in the original RoboCop, is that his hands were still human. And, and that was supposed to play into, you know, the very obvious theme of RoboCop, which is, you know, about the limits of man and, and how there's still a person in there um, 
even after what they did to him. And, um... So people were like, you know, this makes... This makes this Robocop seem less sympathetic because he doesn't have human hands. Um, they they took a theme of the movie and then cut it out uh, in a way that was very noticeable and obvious. Um, in this case, you know, the movie benefits as well by adap- by adapting a movie which a lot of people would unjustly say is a, quote, bad movie, probably because of the skeleton at the end. Um... But again, the skeleton is a fake marionette in-universe. So if it looks fake, it's not because it's trying to be an actual, like, fucking animate skeleton. Um, so, yeah, um, yeah, this this movie was, it was pretty solidly acted, especially Jeffrey Rush and, and um, uh, Jean Grey lady. Again, I'm, I, 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 I'm so sorry. I, I can see your last name is Jansen. Miss Jansen, or Mrs. Jansen, I am so sorry that I couldn't get your first name. I, I'm so bad with pronunciation guides. So, I, but I loved you as Jean Grey, so that's why I'm calling you Jean Grey Lady. Um, so anyway, yeah, no, just well acted. The CGI holds up well. It's got a good atmosphere. It does justice to the original while being its own movie. Um, yeah, this movie was just, it was really fun. Um, definitely, you know, something to check out, even if, and perhaps especially if you have, um, a hatred of remakes. Uh, this is definitely not a case like The Haunting, the 60s version, versus The Haunting, the 2000s version, where that movie was legitimately actually really fucking awful. Um, and also I think stole a lot of stuff from this movie, uh, there's kind of some interesting interplay that I can't really articulate, and it's probably just because of how my brain worked as a kid when I read the book in question and watched the movie in question, but... So you have Shirley Jackson's Haunting of Hill House, which I still consider to this day to be the best literary ghost story ever written. Um, and that was a story that I always kind of linked up a bit with House on Haunted Hill, um, even though... One of them is a work of genius, and the other one is just entertaining. Um, and and in this case, House on Haunted Hill is not the work of genius, um, even if it is still really good. Um, but so to me, it's kind of fitting that there was that sort of parallel where you have House on Haunted Hill, you have the '60s, The Haunting, and then you have you know the remake of. Uh, House on Haunted Hill, which people, you know, were like, this is this is just like a CGI fest. It, it's way too action and edgy compared to the original. And then, then comes The Haunting, the 2000s version. And people were like, you know, you know, as much as I hated that House on Haunted Hill movie... At least it didn't steal things from other movies, and at least the CGI wasn't quite that bad. Um, so yeah, anyway, that's um, the final tangent in what was a very tangential series of reviews. Um, now, if you excuse me, let me finish out the last uh, few minutes of this podcast by talking exclusively about the 2005 House of Wax, as well as The Tingler. Um, 
Just kidding, I'm actually going to stop things here. So, yeah, uh, watch House on Haunted Hill, both of them. They make a great double feature together. Uh, and, um, enjoy. And, yeah, until we meet again.